dismiss our children to junior church time. So let's have a word. Why don't you all stand up? If you're going to junior church, go ahead and stand up. You're going with Mrs. Fat. All right. And we're going to have you go back to this back door over here and head over to the new Sunday school classroom. Okay. All right. So everybody stand. Everybody's up. Okay. Let's have a word of prayer. And then I'm going to give you a couple of announcements before we get into the message. I'll allow the kids to get to where they need to be. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, today that we can gather. And Lord, we're seeing faces that we haven't seen in a few months. And we appreciate so much, uh, Lord, the, the privilege to be able to open up the Word of God now. We pray that you would bless our children as they go to junior church, be with the workers, fill them with thy Holy Spirit, and use them. Lord, help us to remember that these young people walking into the gym are the future. And Father, we must faithfully sow the seed into their hearts and lives. Father, we pray that you'd raise up among them the next leaders, preachers, missionaries, deacons, Sunday school teachers, bus workers. Lord, that, that the work of God might continue. So Father, we pray that you'd bless our time in the Word of God today as well. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, young people, you are dismissed. And uh, everybody hear me now? Give me a thumbs up, somebody, if you can hear me. No. Different mic? All right. Testing. Is that better? All right. Okay, listen. Can you hear me? Oh, it's where I'm standing. I think we're okay now. All right. Luke chapter 7. All right. Luke chapter 7. Turn there. All right. So over here to my right, you'll see the sea container with the door standing open. You may not have understood what that was in the email. It's that steel building right there beside the gym. And uh, you are more than welcome to leave your lawn chairs there this afternoon. We will lock that up. If you're not using them throughout the week, you're more than welcome to leave them until next Sunday. That would be fine as well. And you can just save you carrying those back and forth, all right? And so you can put those in there, and they'll, they'll be dry. It's waterproof, and uh, we hope that we can help you. Daniel, do you want to get down, or are you okay? You okay? Daniel, I feel like I got Secret Service up here with the sunglasses and everything. And so... My bodyguard, Daniel. Amen. Luke chapter 7. Okay, we got the sound now. Is everybody okay? Everybody can hear me? All right. Luke, how many of you enjoyed the car better so you could just turn me down? Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to do my best. I was planning on holding everything, but now i got to hold a mic. So we'll try to get through uh, Luke chapter 7. And I'm just going to share some thoughts here about the centurion's servant. The centurion's servant. Luke chapter 7, this is an unusual story in the Bible because we find a centurion, a Roman centurion that had great compassion on a slave or a servant. That was not in the character of the Roman people. Uh, not, not because they didn't have a heart for people or a genuine compassion at times, but the Israelites were considered dogs to them. And so for him to have this kind of compassion was an unusual thing. So Luke chapter 7, look there. Sorry, the wind took my page. Luke chapter 7. The Bible says in verse 1, Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain certain centurion, let me say that again, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready 
to die. When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this, for he loved our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof. Therefore, wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the word today. Lord, in the life of this centurion, whether we bring it out in the message or not, we see what true love is all about. We see the love of somebody that cares about those who are below him. And Lord, I don't mean that in a sense that anybody is below us, but somebody that is unlovely or without, somebody that doesn't have all the privileges of life, and the centurion reached down and had compassion. And Father, I pray that we would draw from that today and learn, uh, Lord, this is somebody that the Lord Jesus Christ was impressed with, somebody that pleased God to see the heart of this centurion and this faith of this man for this servant in his household. Lord, we have neither of their names, but I believe their names are recorded in heaven today because of this wonderful passage of Scripture. Father, we need your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Father, help us, Lord, to be honoring unto you and to be pleasing in all that we do. And Father, may the Spirit of God speak to our hearts today. Lord, we'll thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, before we start this morning, let me mention we have some folks up in the Northwest Territories right now working at the Delta Bible Camp. So we have Kevin Norris and Ray and Lorraine Vogel have gone up there, and we thank you for working on raising some funds to help with that. Uh, we raised, it says in the bulletin, 11000 I think it was about $11,394, I think it was. And we rounded it off to $12,000, and we were able to buy many of the supplies to help. And uh, Kevin sent me some pictures. We'll show you some when they get back. And I was surprised to see they're building an entire new building and so we praise the Lord for they're able to do that, and they're doing some plumbing and some electrical. I said to Kevin, I said, I hope there was some plumbing before you went there. And he said, no. He says, you take a shovel. And so they are roughing it. They are on an island. They had to take a boat out to get to where they were going, and uh, they're roughing it. So pray for them. It's Ray and Lorraine and Kevin, and they're there for another week working on some things, and then uh, prayerfully that that camp can be used to reach many Native children for the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you for contributing, but continue to pray for them as they work. Pray for safety, and pray for a safe trip home. All right? Luke chapter 7, we see the story of the centurion. I really find it to be an unusual story. We don't see this kind of compassion coming from the Romans. Whenever we see the Romans or we think of these soldiers or these centurions, we think of an unkind people, a people that were uh, 
illegally, if you will, occupying the place that we call Israel, Canaan land. They were there for several, several centuries, actually, as they dominated most of southern Europe, all through Italy, and of course into northern Africa. And we see the Roman Empire as it spread to its uh, apex, and it took over all of these areas that Israel was right at the heart of that and suffered much because of them. They took them from them taxes. They made their people servants. And they put them in, in a form of slavery almost. But you'll notice that some, every once in a while, had compassion. The Bible speaks of this centurion. And the Bible, if you'll notice with me, uh, I, I just want to say, first of all, the centurion demonstrated some things. And first of all, I believe he demonstrated a love that was unique. Notice, notice his love for this servant. It is, you know, think about this. It is easy to love somebody who is popular. Have you ever noticed that? The world just gushes over certain types of people. How many of you are old enough? And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not suggesting anything worldly here. Don't get me wrong. How many of you are old enough to remember when the Beatles came to North America? How many of you remember how foolish people acted? I've seen the, the old black and white. Black and white. You remember black and white? I remember the girls fainting. Or Elvis Presley. There's another one. Today, it's, it's basketball players and baseball players. I, I just remember not long ago, you'll remember just about a year ago, there was a basketball player that had played for the Los Angeles Lakers, and he was one of the best basketball players that ever lived, Kobe Bryant. And he died in a helicopter accident. How many of you remember that from the news? I remember watching the reports come out of that on Twitter and such, and pastors talking about how wonderful this guy was and how great he was, and I thought, I remember just a couple years ago when he was tried for rape. And even though the charges were eventually, he was found innocent, he was still an immoral guy. And it was some hotel uh, maid that he had got into a room. And I mean, it was just a, a terrible thing. He was an immoral guy and he was a wicked hearted man. And yet pastors are, oh, Kobe, oh, Kobe. Oh. That's the kind of world we live in. It's easy to love people who are popular or people that are rich and people that are famous. And we, we gush all over them and we get excited when they walk in the room. But you know, the Bible forbids that kind of activity. It says in James chapter two, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto you, unto your assembly, a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool, are ye not then partial in yourselves? and are become judges of evil thoughts. You know, the Bible forbids that kind of thinking, that kind of love that we would prefer one person over another because of their clothing, because of their money, because of their fame, because of their fortune. The centurion, I would say, demonstrated a unique love because he loved the lowly. He loved the unlovely. He loved somebody that everybody else said was a dog, somebody that didn't worship their same gods, Somebody who didn't have the, the Roman physique and the Roman soldier uh, type of attitude. Somebody that was considered a slave, he loved him anyway. I think it's a wonderful demonstration of how the Lord Jesus Christ loved us. 
let's be honest, there's nobody above Jesus. There's nobody, uh, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills if you're thinking of wealth. There's nobody more popular nor more famous than the Lord Jesus Christ. There are places in this world where they haven't heard of the movie stars that you know or the athletes that you know, but everywhere has heard that name in some form or another, Jesus. And yet Jesus loved us so much he died on a cross. This unique love that we see the centurion demonstrated, we can learn from some things about his love. And I want you to notice, first of all, how love is measured. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 25. How love is measured. Matthew chapter 25, look at verse 31. We'll be right near the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Rob, if you can give me a thumbs up if this goes on. It's on now? Am I good? Hello, can you hear me? All right. That'll be easier. I'm going to give you that, Daniel. All right, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Notice what it says. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord... When saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye Cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these... He did it not to me, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life everlasting. Matthew chapter 25 gives us the measure of love. The Lord Jesus Christ is how you treat the least among us, is how you've treated me. I wonder if he was thinking that when he met this centurion and heard of, of his faith and heard of how he was concerned about this servant, and I wonder if he thought, He's treating me like this because he's treating that servant like this. He loves him and he's showing compassion. So therefore he's loving others and showing compassion as well. That's how our love is measured. Christ came not to the unlovely, but he came to, or he did come to the unlovely, the down and out, the helpless and the hopeless. That's who Christ loves. But I want you to notice not just how love is measured. I want you to notice how love motivates. This love the centurion had was a motivating love. We see, first of all, it motivated him to concern. It motivated him to concern. 
I would dare say that any Roman soldier had many servants under his charge. And the fact that he even knew, the fact that he even knew that this servant was struggling says he was concerned about him personally. You know, sometimes we have those friends in our lives who like to talk about themselves, but they never ask you how you're doing. They never say to you, how are, how are things going for you? I remember years ago saying to my wife, I had a family member, I'd say to them, hey, how are you doing? And they'd, they'd tell me all their stories. And I said, you know, all the years I've, I've said to them, how are you doing? How, how are things going for you? How's work and whatever? I said, they never once said, how are things at church? How's your family? I said, never once has it been reciprocated. I, I said, I just ask and they tell me their story and, and that's it. I said, they never show any concern about our family. I'm not saying about anybody here. I appreciate the love here, but I'm just giving you an illustration. But the centurion was concerned enough to know that there was something going on. His love for this servant motivated a concern, but it also motivated compassion. You see, what is the difference? Think about it this way. You can be concerned for somebody and not show compassion, but you cannot have compassion without first being concerned. A godly biblical concern will lead to a compassion. Compassion is this, it is love in action. And this fellow, this centurion loved this man with a love that was unique and his love uh, motivated him to have compassion upon him. He put his love in action. And so we see that uh, the, the, the centurion demonstrated a love that was unique. Now I'm going to take a second, sorry, the wind is bothering me, I got to get back to my page. Now notice secondly, the elders of the Jews also demonstrated something. They demonstrated a lack of understanding. So the soldier understood love, and he had a love that was unique for this servant. But the elders of the Jews had a lack of understanding. Now, I would, I would dare say that the elders of the Jews were thankful for this centurion. The Bible says that, that they went to Jesus, and he said they, he built us a, a synagogue. I mean, this is a good man. He does good works. And we're thankful that he loves this servant because, I mean, he's a Jew and, and he's a slave and yet he loves him and has compassion on him. But they did not understand Christ's love. Now, look what I, look what I, I, I want to show you here. This in the Bible this morning. Notice verse 4. Luke chapter 7, verse 4. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly saying. So it was urgent. They came to him right away. They knew that this servant was dying. Look what it says, that he was worthy for whom he should do this. They didn't understand the love of Christ because they said this, he is worthy of grace. How many of you know none of us are worthy of grace? None of us deserve the love of Jesus Christ. And the moment we think we deserve it, we don't understand his love at all. The Bible says this, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, the, the Jews thought, hey, Jesus, you ought to love this man because he's worthy. I'm so glad Jesus didn't wait till I was worthy to love me, amen? Jesus loved us when we were unworthy, when we were undeserving, while we were sinners in need of his grace, Jesus loved. The Bible says, for God so loved the world and the world was a wicked place. 
And yet Christ loved us. So they lacked understanding about the love of God. And that's like so many of us today. We think we can earn heaven. We can deserve the love of God. And we're not all that bad. But notice, they, they thought he was worthy of grace. But they also thought his works were good. The Bible says in verse 5 of, of chapter 7, For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. God, let me tell you why I'm worthy. Let me tell you why I deserve this love. Because my works are good. You know, the Bible says that one day we will stand before God. And many will say, have I not prophesied in thy name? Have I not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. You see, God's love is unconditional. The Jews didn't understand that. The elders of the Jews thought we have to work and we have to present a, a good case. It's, it, it's, it's like one of these things where uh, we're trying to earn some money or a, a, a put up forth our best case. Say, Listen, I deserve this grant. There's been times over the years where people have called or sent an email and said, hey, we want to give some money to a charity. Bethel Baptist Church, you're a charity. Go ahead and present your best case. And they'll, they'll want us to write a fill out some forms and say, well, here's why we deserve it. I, I don't bother with them. Uh, listen, our God should supply all our needs, amen? And if God wants to give us the money, he can. But how, how do we get up and say, well, this is why we deserve it. This is how good we are. That, that, that just flies in the face of the word of God. Instead, we understand the love of God by this. God loves us because of who he is, not because of what I have done. Everybody, everybody look up here. Listen, let me repeat that. God loves you because of who he is, not because of what you have done. Did you catch that? I mean, I, I, know, I know there's distractions. There's cars flying by. My pages are flying. I can't keep up with that. And we're distracted out here today. But take that home with you. God loves you because of who he is, not because of what you have done. The Jews didn't understand that. They lacked an understanding. The Bible says this when it talks about what we are worthy of and what, what we deserve, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. But we are all as unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now, I understand Luke chapter 7 is not about salvation, but it's about a people that were trying to earn grace, people that were trying to earn love. And there's no way we can do it because God loves us no matter what. I would estimate that of all the people in the world that believe there is a God and there's a place called heaven, a high percentage of those people believe that they'll go to heaven because they're good enough. But the Bible says there is none that doeth good. There is none righteous, no, not one. We need to get rid of that idea of self and start trusting in the love of Jesus Christ and by his grace and mercy, he saves us. The Jews didn't understand that, but the centurion did. And notice at the next point, the elders of the Jews had a lack of understanding, but the centurion demonstrated a lot of understanding. Look at verse 6. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy. 
that thou shouldst enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but saying a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. The centurion understood the love of Christ. He understood the grace and mercy of God. And the first thing we notice is that he rejected the pride of self. He rejected the pride of self. Notice his humility. The Bible says, I, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. And neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. I, I couldn't even approach thee. But saying a word, my servant shall be healed. The centurion humbled himself before God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Listen to these next few words. And not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. It's not about you. It's about him. And about his glory. And about his saving power. And about his grace. And about his mercy. And about his love. And so the centurion understood that. And he rejected the pride of self, but he realized the power of the word. He says this, say it in a word, say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Do you know that most people, think about this, most people in the Bible desire to see Jesus work. Think about that. Come unto my house. Come and heal my, my little daughter, Tabitha. Come and Come and touch my blinded eyes. Come and touch the leopard's skin. Over and over. Even Mary and Martha, who were close to Jesus, said this, Had you been here, my brother had not died. This centurion had a different kind of understanding, didn't he? Lord, I, I am not worthy for you to come to my house, and I'm not worthy to come to you. You just say the word. That's all it takes. The woman with the issue of blood, I have to touch him. Others, I need to get close to him. I need to hear him pray. I need to see him work. But the centurion said, God, just say it. Boy, there's a special kind of faith there. He understood. You know, we are a people that live by faith, not sight. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. I hope you understand when you pray that God may not show up in person in your bedroom. Uh, a matter of fact, if he did, it'd scare half of you to death. But he does work in our lives in a very intimate way. He moves in our hearts and he puts people in places and things in the right order. And he guides us along life's path. But we just need to learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. And the centurion understood. In other words, he believed in the God of Genesis that just spoke and there was light. He just spoke and the sun came into being. Just saying a word. He realized the power of God. And the Bible says in verse 8 or verse 9, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. No doubt, it would have been a wonderful privilege if the Lord Jesus Christ came to his house. I'm going to cut things short. You hear that thunder just like I do. It would have been a wonderful privilege to have Jesus come to his house. But he demonstrated a great faith when he said, God, just say the word and it'll be done.
Listen, a lot of times we understand God's love just like the elders of the Jews. I need to impress God. I need to please God. Now listen, we are saved unto good works. We are not saved by good works. You understand the difference, right? When you're saved, you want to be pleasing to God and you want to serve God and you want to do things that are a a furtherance for the gospel and, and the furtherance for the cause of Christ. And I understand that. And we ought to be trying to be pleasing to God in all things. But in order to come to Christ and understand that God loves listen, there, there are people that are laying in the hospital today and there's people that are shut-ins and they, they can't be here and they can't do things in the service and, and setting up and, and tearing down or singing in a service or serving in Sunday school. They can't do any of that. Listen, God doesn't love them any less because it's not about what they have done. It's about who he is. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment this morning. Maybe you just need to take some time and thank him that he loves you. Can I flip the coin just for a moment? We spend all this time trying to impress God. And God doesn't love us any more or any less. But there's some here today walking around in guilt and shame. And you're thinking just the opposite. God couldn't possibly love me because of the things I've done. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't love you any more or less either. It's not based on our merit or our works. It's based on who he is. The centurion understood that. He said, I'm not worthy. Don't think about my works. Don't worry about that synagogue I built. It doesn't make me worthy of the love of God. I'm just beseeching on the behalf of my servant, God help me. And humility brought healing to his son through the power of the spoken word of Christ. Maybe there's one here today say, I'm not saved. I don't know Christ like that. And I've, I've run around with works of righteousness trying to impress God trying to be good enough to go to heaven. The says, not of works of righteousness which we have done, but by his blood he has saved us. Do you know Christ today? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you born again? We can help you today. Would you slip up your hand? Nobody's looking around. I, I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. Is it one? Would you pray for me? Would you take a moment and thank God for his love today? It was that love that sent his son to die on a cross for you. May we be forever grateful.